video games. Art or craft. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me, Mr. Sawbridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 109. 109. Been doing this for 109 weeks. That's uh, I was thinking about that literally yesterday, and I was like, man, 109 weeks sounds like so long. It does, and but it, it, it feels, is, to it feels be like it's not been long at all. Yeah, it's, it's really out there. Um, life moves. You know, they talk about when you get older, it seems like life goes by quick. It really does, man. I used to think that summer lasted forever when going to school. It's, yeah, like, it's, it's like you're on summer that? break. It's like Six I am on weeks? break for, you know. Yeah, it's like now I'm going, what? Six weeks has passed already? What are you telling me right now? Yeah. Three so, months. Three or four months. Wow. That's the almost got. I was going to say three months into the new year, but nope, four months. <laughs> Perfect example we have there. There you go. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with us, we are PlayStation Podcast. Uh, so, but we do talk about the other stuff. Like we said, we're Triangle Squared. Uh, we talk about other game companies and as they pertain to the industry and PlayStation and the competition and whatnot. So, uh, if you like all, then we are still welcoming to all. But we primarily focus on PlayStation. So, with that said, though, if you want to watch us, you can do so on YouTube every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. If you like what we're doing, subscribe and hit the bell notification to let you know when these videos. Go go live uh, and then if you would like to you can always comment about what we're talking about let us know your thoughts on it we love to hear them uh, if you want to hear us but not see our ugly mugs you can do so by going to podcast services via iTunes Google Play Music doesn't matter if you're on an iPhone or Android or computer you can find us on any podcast service even Spotify uh, which is real easy for a lot of people as well uh, if you like what we're talking about and want to chime in, uh, but you do so through the audio stuff and you can't comment, you can go and find us on social media platforms. Those are Twitter, and our handle is at Triangle SQRD. Somebody had taken Triangle Squared, sadly. Uh, you can do so on Facebook. It's a group called Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Ask to join, and we will gladly accept you. And lastly, you can find us on Discord where you can join our moment-to-moment day-to-day lives as much as we are allowed to be in there and a bunch of other cool community members. And I want to take this opportunity to say, if you're in the Discord and you get that many people together, eventually problems can come up. If you have a problem with somebody, we expect you to to try and be adults and mend them on your own. And if for some reason that doesn't work, be it whatever it is, we would ask that you just reach out to Saul, myself, or a moderator as we uh, add more of those. And we'll try and do what we can to fix the situation for you or explain why we may or may not be doing something. So with that said, you can support us on Patreon by giving us as little as a dollar, getting early content when it comes to reader mails and other shows that are coming up this show, <coughs> excuse me, this show, uh, we don't know about because it's happened so soon to release that it would be barely getting it any early. Definitely. As we move our recording day to Sunday, uh, to better fit our schedules and lives. So we'll see about that. Like we said, if there's a demand, we will definitely do it. And with that said, I think it's time to start this show off right, Saul. What you been doing this week? What you been playing? Played a couple hours of Destiny 2. Uh, really just to do the Nightfall and some weeklies with some friends. And okay. then I've been on the couch with Phoenix Wright and Cuphead on the Switch. And that's... I think I haven't played anything else on PlayStation other than Destiny 2. And I think that's all I played on the Switch. Uh, I did play some GTA 5 on PC. Uh, on a role play server. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I actually found one that was pretty fun to do. So I was playing yes yesterday, yeah, and was just driving along and like, of course, you start in the world with no money, no weapons or nothing. So, so like, in those situations, like, did you completely choose what you want your character to be all the way down to like what your job is going to be? Yeah, you can go to a job bank or whatever they're called, and like, you can actually get a job. Like, you can get a job at a vineyard and do multiple things, drive sure. taxis. Now. How much of that, because yeah, I think I barely touched Grand Theft Auto Online, and I know it's come a long way, and that was, I barely touched it on PS3. Yeah. Uh, so since the game has released, I know that it's been updated a lot, but I assume that these are all PC mods. These are all PC mods, yeah. I didn't think the game would go as far no, as to try and give you a normal jobs, but... In the, uh, in the server that I'm in, they have pretty immersive mods, like the hatchback I drive has a Volkswagen um, logo on it. Oh, okay. So, like, they've even modded in that. But, yeah, I got yeah, you. So, like, obviously, like, I started with no money, and the game is Grand Theft Auto. So, like, I went and stole a, just a random civilian car. Like, not, or I say civilian. Civilian is actually the term for people who are playing. So, I stole a random NPC's car. Yes. And I was driving, and, like, a dude came up behind me and rear ended me. And I was just like, 
okay, that's an NPC. That's not somebody. It was somebody. <laughs> and then there was a cop at the other red light across the road. And I didn't have my headset in at that point, so I had to quickly get my headset That's on. what I was going to ask. Yeah, so you use your headset and talk. Yeah, and you that, have to talk. Uh, that goes in with the mod of where they try and have it set up to where the Your lip. mouth moves, yeah. So like, <laughs> That's a brilliant idea. I told the officer, like, <laughs> he, he said license and registration, and I'm like, I don't have either one of those. I don't know how to do that. And he was like, you got to go down to the court with this car. And I'm like, I haven't done that yet. He's like, how'd you get the car? said i don't know <laughs> so like within like four hours of playing he's like what happened here i'm like i got rear-ended he's like and you don't have insurance and i was like no and he was like huh he asked the other guy behind me he's like do you have insurance and he was like yeah he's like here it is and i even saw his character do like this hand motion like he did an emo and then the guy turned around and pointed at me he was like that guy just stopped in the middle of the road and i was like i had a red light so we're sitting there talking and he was like, so if you didn't get this car registered and you didn't get this car, you don't know where you got this car from. Is it safe to assume that you stole this vehicle? And I said, well, I said, I guess you go ahead and charge me with Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and charge me plenty. And he laughed. And he's like, all right, put your hands behind your back. And I was like, I, 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 had to, I can't break and role play because I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And he was like, don't worry, I got it for you. And like, he, he did a thing where he grabbed me. And like, so he walked and I was just like, my hands behind my back. And I couldn't move. And yeah. He, he's like, get in the police car. So I got in the police car, took me down to the station. I had 600, uh, no, not 600, 360 seconds in jail. Like I had to sit in a jail cell. And then he was like, all right, you're free to go. He's like, here's your fine. I'm like, how do I pay this? He's like, when you get money. And it was like a $7,000 fine. Oh my God. I don't know how hard it is. Like, but like, I, I, that server works really well with a controller. And it doesn't have, like, any glitches that I've seen. It's like I'm playing the real game. But So the servers are pinned down to, like, most of the people on that server would be using a controller? Yeah, you, you have to. Well, not everybody. But, I, but it's geared enough towards yeah, the ability like you, to play with somebody, who, whether they're on mouse and keyboard or not. It you still have well. to have mouse and keyboard because you have to hit T to pull up text chat. Sure. Uh, yeah, and then sense. you have to hit 1 to pull up your phone and 2 to pull up something, uh, your server toolbox, which is, like, how you can do emotes and stuff. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a blast what I played yesterday. Oh, that and sounds so, fun. It sounds like a really really elevated version of like the idea behind Second Life, it where is. it's literally just walking in it, and being it, like, "What do I want to do with my life here?" It is, and like you could go to their website and apply to be a police officer. And I think I've showed you like where like people who are role playing as police officers sound just like real police officers. Like where they have a, like, they have like a code and everything. Yeah, we got a forty nine. Yeah, yeah, like there's like uh, I've watched videos on this and dudes like we got a ten thirty heading southbound on, and they know because the game has your mile per hour, it has gas in the game too. Oh, okay, uh, and it has your speed and it has the road you're on in the direction you're going so you'll hear like uh we have somebody going 10 30 down southbound south southbound down sonora parkway drive and it's just like this sounds like i'm watching cops <laughs> is there like a see that that goes how deep does it go and then we'll move off i know this i didn't intend for this to be so long but we haven't had a chance to talk too much about this does it go as far as there to be like somebody who's like i don't know why i'm blanking on what they're called right now uh but the people who stay at the like in, in a, at the police station and yeah act, uh, an operator yeah um, like so what they do is like there are operators so like if you have your cell phone what you do is you can call in and that voice connects you to the operator uh-huh. and you basically tell them what's going on and then the operators uh there's a an item called the um, radio, the police radio. Okay. And if you hold that, you can actually hear the operator responding to other police officers. <laughs> and it's, dude, it's so deep. It's crazy. Yeah. Dude, it's, that actually sounds fun. You know what? I wouldn't, uh, for a game that I have no interest in, oh, in its natural state, I would not be opposed to playing this with dude, you. It is, so much the, so that how much is Grand Theft Auto on PC on average? $30, I think, or 40 It was either 30 or 40 on Steam, and that's not a sale price. That's Yeah, I may see if I can catch it on a sale just to play that with you. But cuz that would be, are you playing with anybody? No, I'm not playing with anybody specifically. Joe is going to get it and we're going to play with I'm going to play with Joe. Um so he went with the PC. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, well that's cool, man. We'll, we'll have good. to see about that cuz that does sound fun. Uh, uh but anyway, you, what have you been playing? Uh I played uh, a lot of Ori in the Blind Forest uh coming right off of Hollow Knight. Uh, it's, I mean, it's similar in the sense that it is a Metroidvania uh, essentially. It's the closest thing I do. And they both have their own kind of what would you say, like a, a, their own kind of different but still focused towards uh, precision platforming to an extent, um, which I kind of like. Not incredibly precise platforming, but it is there, and there's some points in both games where towards the end, definitely, they still get pretty challenging. I'm pretty far in Ori. Um, $30, but- by the way. I'm enjoying it a lot, uh, and it's a game that I've missed for a long time. So, But on the PlayStation side of things, I finally came back around. I played uh, a little bit more of The Division with uh, Captain Chronic, who's now, oh, Lord. Giant Scantron? Uh, big Scantron. 
Uh, and there's a oh, whole joke friends. about that that goes into, I want to say it was the bomb cast is what he was saying. So, uh, but yeah, shout out to him. He's our patron and our friend and a good member of the discord. Uh, we appreciate you, buddy. Good playing with you. Uh, good talking with I'm, you as I'm well. I'll be hopping on tonight. Blake. There we go. We You'll can play hear some this more. in the past tense since this will be Monday, and I'm saying this on Saturday. But. but, of course, the big game of the week that I knew I was going to be the only one to get it launched, as we've talked about it a lot, uh, We I picked up uh, Days Gone on the midnight physically at GameStop and was able to play about an hour the first night, and then I was uh, able to squeeze in, oh, let's see, about an hour last night and then about – two hours this morning uh, with a little bit of time that I had. So I'm not too far into it. Like I said, four to five hours max maybe. And um, there's minor complaints that come from the expectation that I think everyone has and that, that somehow gets set from the fact that it's a first party game, but so many of the things that are small are, are small little things aren't seen in other games either due to the type of game they are, uh, due to the size of their team and the technical things that go in there. There's certain things that I've been very spoiled by. This game suffers from, this is just one thing, it suffers from a lot of load screens. Um, and I don't know why, but playing it gives me the feeling of God of War but then you'll see the camera swing behind the character like it's about to, to seamlessly transition into you playing him. And right. then there's a short load screen. And there's something about that. Is, I've gotten used to it. But the first day, I, it was annoying me a lot. And I was like, what is going on here? Um, but it's a great game so far. I've enjoyed every second of it, despite some of the things that I said were like things I didn't know if I was going to care for, like the bike gang thing. It's just not really my thing. It's not who I am. Uh, definitely that biker Sons of Anarchy style of things. But it all works pretty well. Uh, I think it's acted pretty well. And uh, so far, the way they're portraying Oregon is really pretty. So uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm waiting to see, by being so shallowly into the game, I'm waiting to see what I noticed you know, we all know for the most part now that the game came out to pretty mixed criticism on terms of in terms of um, critical response from publications. But the biggest complaint I saw levied was primarily repetition, which it ha- and and there's a really interesting thing about that because you got to be really careful about just saying repetition and thinking that that's the end all be all of it because games by their very nature are meant to be repetitious. That's why they always talk about like most games talk about a gameplay loop. The gameplay loop is repetitious, but it's how, how fun is that gameplay loop and how long does it stay fun? And does that length tie in with what you're doing in the, like for the, the length of the game? So if you know that you have a, a, a good gameplay loop and you know that on average people seem to enjoy it for about 30 hours, do you try and kind of whittle down the experience to fit that so that the majority of players won't ever feel that hit? Uh, and then people who love the game enough to continue playing with Platinum or whatever can do it with minor, hopefully, uh, annoyance to the repetition? Or is it a game that happens and the game still goes on another 15 hours past the point of where it starts to become repetitious? Um, these are things that I don't know and I don't think we're... I don't think many reviews were clear enough on because reviews are very short uh, by their nature of trying to be brief. Uh, Even the ones that seem long when you're reading them, realistically, those are things that you could read to yourself in two to three minutes a lot of times. So in that sense, I think it's one of those things where it's a game that I think is hard to review so quickly. And also there was stuff about patches. There were, there were prior to day one patches that reviewers got uh, that still left a lot of the problems. And then there was also the day one patch that seems to have fixed a lot of problems as well. But everybody's still, you know, it's the whole mileage may vary thing where I've been playing on PS4 Pro, have not had a single frame drop yet that has been notable to me. Um, and I haven't had really incredible texture pop in. I've had a little, little, little bit, but thankfully not too bad. Uh, so I've been going pretty well with it. No glitches or anything either, but I know other people who have had problems on base PS4 and even on some on PS4 Pro. So, uh, you know, I am enjoying it so far and I would, I look forward to talking about it more whenever I have more time under my belt with it. So yeah, and I'm looking forward to picking it up once it's fixed entirely. So. Yeah. And I'm curious how long that will be. And I think Hopefully it will like three or four weeks. Yeah. I want to pick it up sometime in May, but if it comes across my vacation in June, that'll be even better. But, the scope of the game is really impressive because you know one thing that liam said in the discord which i I said from the get-go the game that looks closest to 
realistically in gameplay is Horizon because of the way that it goes about being this huge open world, which is not really seen in a lot of the PlayStation exclusives. And I think it really exceeds pretty well on that. It's crazy that games like this, they do two things that do that do really well for me, but then there are so many things that offset that. And that's the environment looks really, really cool. Yeah. And the area of the game looks really, really cool. And the, honestly, the, the almost original design of the hordes and stuff is cool too. I'm so put off by like crafting and then ammo scavenging and stuff. I know it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. I just don't have time for all that right now. Yeah. And it's, it's a game that has a lot of inspiration on its sleeve. Uh, oh, I can tell. But I want to talk more about that when I have more time under it and we'll see if those, some of those opinions change and see how much it carves more of its own niche, which I think cool. it's done some too right now. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I'm just I'm surprised by the game, and I do think it's good, and I think it's a, quite the achievement for a team so small that is, that is not known for a game of this scope, size, or scale. The last time they really put out a AAA console game uh, was on the PS2. So, yeah, you think about it in that sense. It's, it's been a long time, you know. Uh, but anyway, I think it is time before we get moving on for the community's take. And we're going to do that. So Saul asked, and then I re-asked uh, a little bit earlier today just to kind of get, uh, because I intended to earlier in the week and I had forgotten. I apologize. But Saul asked a simple, simple, a simple situation. It, and I think I expounded on it just a little bit. But essentially, the, it was going to be, and Saul, correct me if I'm wrong on what you said, but if come with what we know about the PlayStation 5 right now from this first little thing, which you know is like light hardware information, backwards compatibility, PSVR support for the old headset as well as plans for a new one, uh, the solid-state drive, stuff like that, would you buy a PS5 one day one with your own money? If that And the situation would be you can either do that, day one has to be bought day one with your money, bam, or if somebody offered you $500 to not buy it on day one, and I kind of added the stipulation because I think it further gets the point across of well, I said if I, would, you I would give you $500. Essentially, yeah, but it would be... You well, get, no, I, I never... Also, it's not you spending your own money. It's, oh, I thought I would it was. Gi- yeah, I would give you $500. Okay. And you would either buy the PS5 at launch or you would take the $500 and run. Would you buy the PS5 at launch with what we know now? That one's also interesting, but whenever I re-asked it, and we got some on that as well. Yeah. Whenever I re-asked it... I think it's in general it, the same question. Though. Yeah, it is in a lot of senses. It's essentially, do you want to sacrifice... Do you want to gain $500, whichever way it ends up being, do you want to gain $500 at the expense of not being able to use the console and the stipulation I put was for a year you can't buy it the entire first year it's like you're signing a contract do you want to give up the entire first year of the console based off what you know so far or would you go ahead and dive all in for day one um and I was really interested because I think it's easy to say wait a year when backwards compatibility and things aren't involved but whenever you have this from the get-go going in because you gotta think like year one of ps4 it was kind of slow, and it was going to be. I mean, it was always going to be. It was slow for Xbox as well, but actually a little bit slower for PS4. Um, and you got to think about how many games came out that were cross-gen that you still could have played on PS3, maybe at a worse experience, but oh well. Uh, and how many games were you missing out on the exclusive side that were really impactful enough that you feel like you couldn't wait a year to experience them. But when you're going into a console that will presumably run better, run the PS4 games, you're going to be able to play on it better at an upgraded resolution and stuff from what... From what we're hearing, it sounds like that's part it's of the goal. It's essentially a console upgrade with the added benefit of brand new f- Ex- games exactly. that run better. And then, like we talked about, even just being able to play a PS4 game like Spider-Man and cutting down the load times dramatically with this solid-state drive that they're talking about. These are all information that I think makes it a little harder of a, a question. But that's what we did. Went over to the Facebook and asked that. And the responses I've gotten across the board on all of this stuff has been kind of mixed. So... You have one person, and it's Donovan in particular, said it's already going day one on the console. Boy. Um, and then we have another, Mr. Michael Scott Schneider. I think this is the first time he's reached out. And I remember him adding. So, hey, welcome to the community. Appreciate you uh, you know, chiming in. He said, I take the $500. I usually buy consoles late. Just got my PS4 this year and will still have plenty to play. There you go. Patient gamer. The, that's the old patient gamer strategy we talk about. And there's really something to it if you want to stretch your dollar to the maximum. You know yeah. what I mean? And it makes sense, too, because you get all the games that have come out past launch window that are now you're getting full-fledged games, mm-hmm. which in launch window you get one, two games. Exactly. And then you get uh, all the patches. that would You get hit. all the patches. Yeah, you get all the there's game of the year editions that are often cheaper than it, then than at release. Sure. So it's, it's, it's obviously... It's obviously 
honestly and obviously one of the best ways to buy a console. It's just not everybody wants to wait, which is the problem. Those people like me are very impatient. Sure. The one downside that comes from this situation, though, and it happened a little bit in the PS3 generation, but it's definitely happening now, is how many games that you might have liked, and you never know, you, you will literally never know, that you might have liked, that you missed, but because of we're in this games as a service and games that are completely online-based and are, revolve around a server and all these different things, in this day and age, when those servers drop and those games just go, definitely when we see Sony be pretty cutthroat. We are back. Uh, there is going to be a break in this episode for everybody audio-wise and just honestly just from the flow of conversation-wise because we have a technical problem where we lost audio uh, about you know 20 minutes into the conversation and didn't realize it until much later. So sadly, we're going to be redoing a majority of this episode. Uh, but stick with us here. We were on the community's take, and we were going through it. Looks like uh, on the Facebook side of things... Uh, it was pretty split, but a lot of people also, I mean, we, we've seen it split across the way, both ways, where it seems like a lot of people were divided. Uh, Twitter was primarily people who were ready to take the money because the first year of a console is usually pretty slow to begin with anyway, so you didn't feel like you're missing out on too much. Uh, we had a lot of people mirror each other's sentiments on the fact that work out the bugs, let the games that are going to be the, the first day things come out and get patched to their excellent point, buy in that a year later. You made a $500 profit, bam, good to go. Uh, so that's a pretty good, sweet setup. I'm glad that everybody says, you know, I'm glad that everybody is at least looking at it and interested. I think that it says a lot that even with this little of information, there are people that are already on the, on the side to go gung-ho day one. Some of that's probably because, you know, people who are just such big fans, they don't want to have FOMO like you had mentioned when we were in our last take. But fear of missing out, you want to be part of the conversation and keep up with everything. Uh, but I also think it's because a lot of people see the value in it for like uh, Josh said. Josh Ayer said, I'd buy the console with PS4 backwards compatibility. I'll have plenty to do, especially with that. Final Fantasy remakes play over and over and whatnot. And, of course, the backwards compatibility from what we're hearing sounds like it'll be improved by the solid-state drive and maybe even through patches to let the game run better uh, or at higher resolutions and things like that on certain games. So uh, with that said, since we're having to re-record and we're on a little bit of a time schedule now, we're going to cut the drop and go straight in the news. Uh, where we are on news is... First things up, during a financial conference call, we received some information about a PlayStation about PlayStation Now's growth and performance since its launch. So first up, the service has averaged a 40% annual increase in users since launch, which sounds mighty impressive until you get to the next piece, which is still impressive in its own right, but there are approximately 700,000 users at the moment. So it puts that 40% in a perspective uh, where it's not as crazy as it may have otherwise seemed, but it's still good for the service nonetheless, considering that they're pretty much the only people on the market on the console side at this particular junction and have been for years. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting about this is that I might be wrong uh, in terms of, or it may have been debunked or whatever, but I did see something a while back that was saying that PS now was outperforming at least in revenue, if nothing else, uh, uh, games pass. So I'd be curious as to see what games pass user, like a su subscriber amount is, uh, and all that and where the money goes to different differentiate between the two. I find that pretty interesting, but a couple of other information. So since the addition of downloadable PS4 games, uh, every uh, average playtime across users has increased, leading to higher user engagement and better retention among subscribers, so more people are keeping their subscription with this added feature instead of bouncing out or coming back or whatever intermittently, which is cool. Sony mentioned that the coming age of cloud gaming could be seen as a threat but that the company must turn it into an opportunity. The company intends to give more information regarding their strategy for the game at the corporate strategy meeting that happens on May 21st. To me, this comes as no surprise. This is like right off the heels of last episode, if y'all remember, or if you read the article where Mark Cerny was talking about PlayStation uh, and that he was asked specifically uh, about you know the fact that Google Stadia and all these other things are coming out in the streaming area. And his remark was something along the lines of PlayStation is a pioneer in cloud gaming or game streaming and that it plays a part in our upcoming console plans um so we'll see how much more that may be once this corporate strategy meeting hits there may be some new features or whatnot to go through and uh one of the things i bet a lot of people hope is that with ps now and this downloadable ps4 feature that'll obviously be compatible with ps5 and then the other side i bet would be the what people wanted from ps now whenever this rumor about downloadable games hit to begin with people were hoping you'd be able to download ps3 games which that'd be cool was just whimsical to imagine for the ps4 but it might work on ps5 so we will see uh, in that same call, though, we learned that PS4 shipped 
2.6 million units to retailers last quarter, putting the grand total of consoles uh, out to 96.8 million units as of March 31st. Now, to be fair, that is units shipped out to retailers. That's not necessarily in the home. I think December, they gave us an update of like 91.8 million as of December 31st or something along those lines. So uh, I'm sure it's you know pretty close to that, but it is a little different. Um, Throughout the last fiscal year as a whole, though, they shipped 17.8 million units with the expectation of shipping 16 million units this fiscal year, which, to put that in perspective, would put the console at 112.8 million units if that goal is met. That would make it the second best-selling home console ever uh, ever behind the PS2, uh, and then that would actually beat out the PS1, which is currently the second best-selling home console specifically, uh, and it would make it the fourth best-selling if you include handhelds, and those are the Game Boy and DS lines. Um, so if you kind of think about that, it's pretty impressive, and I think it's a shoe-in that this is going to happen. And with the PS5 not really being planned, we know right now for a 2019 release or even a this fiscal year release, that does put it outside of the March window that I gave on the uh, as a quick answer on uh, the reader mail last episode. But what it does do is it says that since there's a little bit more time and that my prediction... March was like kind of my quick, like I hope that they'd be willing to do that because it's a good time of the year for them. Uh, but I go back to now thinking November is going to be their their go-to date. But who knows? It could happen in April. And that's technically outside of this fiscal year for Japan. So eh, who knows? Um, but with all that coming, I think the PS4 would continue to do really well. The PS2 did incredibly well as it went along. So in that sense, it makes sense to me that the PS4 could at least bump closer to the 150 million that PS2 reached. So we'll see. I think that most people would say don't include handhelds when you're talking about consoles because they are just a different beast. But considering that we're in an age where handhelds don't sell like they used to, that's mighty impressive. Yeah. So, um, okay, next up, PS Plus games from May were revealed for Asia and Japan with Metagross Survive and The Witness being the games for Asia and Japan getting Darksiders Warmastered Edition instead of The Witness. Uh, it's safe to assume that at least one of those two games is going to be in the lineup for the Western release, maybe even both. Um, the Witness, obviously not, because we just got it ourselves. Uh, and these two games, at least uh, uh, Metagross Survive and Darksiders War Mastered, have not been on the service in the West yet. Uh, so it is very likely, though it's not been confirmed. So we'll see. I'm sure that that'll come out probably the day after this episode goes live, maybe even the day this episode goes live. We will see. Uh, DMC5 producer Matt Walker mentions on Twitter in response to fans' questions that there are no current plans for any more content for the game. Now, I find this odd only for... In this particular age, we are in a time period where DLC and any way to further monetize a game and continue to develop within the same engine and the same content and the same assets is utilized as much as possible to make extra money off of it. Uh, that's even more interesting to me with this being the fastest selling game in the DMC franchise or Devil May Cry franchise specifically, um, if you want to go into that. So... Good on Capcom. I find that kind of interesting because it's in a day and a time period where right now people are trying to avoid DLC as much as possible. But then up next, we have news that also talks about another company that's just going, whatever, it's a big enough game. And it did sell more, but I guess we'll go ahead and move into that. Kingdom Hearts 3 updated this week to add the long-discussed critical mode, uh, which was apparently somewhat in the game at launch in terms of in the back-end files, but was not playable. Um so it adds that fully realized and I adds new items at the future of the series that come from completing the game uh, on proud mode, finding all the lucky items and whatnot. Uh, Saul, do you see those? Yeah. Okay. Cause I, don't, I can't talk about what's in regards to them. And that's why I say hints at the future of the f series because it ties into the secret ending. Uh, but we also got our first bits of info on the paid DLC for the game at the kingdom hearts orchestra concert, which happened just a few days ago. So, this is not news that's just been completely put out there as much as it's been uh, regurgitated by people who were in attendance. So some of this may not be concrete or completely exactly what it was, but I think it does paint a pretty good picture. So it looks like it will be called Remind, which is capital R, lowercase e, and then all caps M-I-N-D for mind, which is the most Kingdom Hearts title in the world. Um, and it's going to act more or less as a final mix release. Uh, that the other entries would normally get as a re-release later uh, that adds extra content and extra episodes and whatnot. It also appears that due to its nature as DLC, 
this Final Mix style content will be the first time in the series history that you'll have the ability to do it with English voice acting since it's more DLC and it's coming in a time period where they can work it out like that, get the voice actors back in, put it out as DLC for everybody instead of doing a Japanese release, an American release, and then the Japanese release again, that's the final mix, and then eventually moving the final mix to America, where they've typically in the past, with the new cutscenes and whatnot, stripped all voice acting and just put the text on screen in the Kingdom Hearts subtitle style. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, next up, and this one is... Uh, Sad, but is what it is. After many struggles and a core community of people upset with the game's loot structure and in-game content, BioWare has come out to announce that after the most recent update, which added a new stronghold, some quality of life changes, and some buffs, that the original Anthem roadmap shared prior to release has been delayed. Things like the mastery system is included in that. There was uh, guilds that were supposed to be added to the game, new legendary missions, leaderboards, uh, which I'd be curious to see what the leaderboards were going to be about, how... You know, one of the things that Destiny added that I think was a surprise hit, maybe even to them, was uh, strike. Uh, and they didn't even bring it back for Destiny strike scoring. Too. Yeah, yeah, it was something that people really liked. Um, it's in Nightfalls, but it's not in strikes. Yeah. So, um, and even the planned Cataclysm content, which is going to be like the big ish, the way for, big for that game since they're doing no. Does the game have content. a raid out? Not a raid proper, and I don't know. And I don't know if there's ever going to be one. And I don't know what Weird. they considered. I think that them, the stronghold, must have been the raid. And I think that it was on me. I think I read something or misremembered that there were going to still be raids. But I think that in their mind, strongholds act as a raid. I don't gotcha. know. I don't know for sure. Um, but anyway, the content that was all supposed to hit in April and early May has been since delayed. No date's been given on when they're going to be doing this. So I wouldn't expect to see it anytime soon. And sadly... Oh, one thing is they're going to talk about the Cataclysm content that was supposed to be coming in May. They're going to talk about it in May, but I can almost guarantee you it's not going to release in May, so don't hold your breath. Uh, but the biggest thing about this is that it paints a really grim future for the fans of the game, like myself, uh, and others that have lingered around hoping that the game may get itself fixed. But I also never say never, because there's, like, No Man's Sky is a perfect example of a game that we bring up constantly that at release had a ton of controversy, lack of content, all these all similar-ish problems, not completely, but similar-ish problems, uh, and was able to turn itself around in the eyes of fans massively. Now, one thing that differs between these two games a little bit, uh, not really it differs, it's just No Man's Sky was... A, a release and they've to turn it around they did a bunch of free content right that nobody expected originally this game is always supposed to have free additional content so that's a little bit weird but you know one thing I, I talked about in the last week that I really think was important and I want to bring it up again is that other games in this style right Anthem specifically is like a online loot shooter that you're supposed to play as a always online active community type game very similar to what you see with The Division and Destiny but because EA was so messed with by that battlefront two situation where they said no, when they came out with Anthem and said, we're going to do uh, no paid stuff. All the content will be free moving forward. We're going to have no pay to win microtransactions. It'll all be, excuse me. It'll all be, um, what do they call it? When it's just physical. I don't know why my brain is, um, probably cause I'm tired and we're doing this again, but, um, cosmetic. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, so, Anyway, they went through with all that, but one of the things that that does to the game is it kind of cripples the game. It's like they crippled themselves almost uh, and kind of tied themselves down in a way where by saying that you're never going to release paid content like you see in Destiny and these other games where you can do one big chunk of content that comes out all at once is that other games that have had problems like Destiny 1 specifically that had a big turnaround, it happened because of the Taken King. And Saul in particular was one of the biggest people that talked about the Taken King and kept telling me over and over again, I need to play it, I need to play it because I could, Destiny 1's launch content was subpar and not even really that great, but it was there and it was fun, but once you hit a point of playing it enough, you didn't care. But the Taken, uh, Taken King comes along, changes all that, right? Destiny 2 saw the same thing. Forsaken came along, changed everybody's opinion on Destiny 2. Even though Destiny 2 was more favorable from launch than Destiny 1. you know. But in that situation, they don't allow themselves the chance to do that unless they change their plans. Unless they're going to say, we're going to go head down, put a team of developers on that's a, a big chunk of the studio on developing this particular thing. Or maybe even expand the studio to kind of do what Destiny does, uh, which Saul talked about a lot, at least in private. And I think he's probably mentioned on here that Destiny has uh, the, the group of people who 
essentially develop the main game as it's going to happen at launch, and then the first little bits of content that come as post-launch DLC. They have the dev team and the live team. And then the live team switches over and does the first major expansion, typically. Yeah. So Not all of them. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. all of them. So, so de- in Destiny 2's case, did that include, like, the Warmind yeah. and everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's live team did everything Forsaken, after yeah, traditional Forsaken, Yeah, it just has different department leads. Okay. Like, um, the, like Luke Smith... Uh, they just lost a major uh, design lead for raids. Um, he oh. just he just left the company. But um, people, I think Luke Smith did King's Fall. He did everything but Crota in the okay. first one. So yeah. it's like we know that that guy did Crota and Luke Smith did King's Fall and all the other ones. So we know we're still getting good raid content. Sure. Yeah. So, but exactly right there. You have two teams. And then the bigger thing is that if the first team fails to deliver, you know that there's a good chance of the team that whatever team it is that you like more is going to eventually put content out again, be it through a new yeah. game release or through a DLC content release. So it kind of gives the game the ability to bounce back that way, but Anthem is not really afforded that same thing unless Bioware changes their plans. And I think that... I'm not going to say that completely. I don't necessarily know that everybody would be gung-ho to pay money for an expansion for the game to be what they wanted it to be to begin with. Right. I don't know. It's yeah, hard it's, to say. It's, it's Yeah, skeptical. Uh, okay, a couple more things. I don't know if this made it into the cut or not, but World War Z, Days Gone's competition yeah, that released, meets a million units. So uh, congratulations to them. Yeah, I thought it was, or I thought it was tied into the community thing. So whatever. Um, let's see. March MPD results are in. It's been a while since we've done these, but I ran across them. I was like, you know what? These are cool. I'm going to go ahead and put them in here. Uh, so they break down like this. Total video game sales are $1.179 billion. It's a ton of money. Down 11% from $1.325 billion in March of 2018, so a year-over-year decline. Uh, video game hardware, which is the systems themselves, $282 million this uh, last month, which is down 15% from $331 million in March of 2018. Um, video game software, which also includes PC, uh, $547 billion, down 11%. From six hundred and seventeen billion. Oh, I think that's actually specifically PC. Sorry, scratch that one. Don't worry about it unless you care for PC a lot. Video game accessories and game cards, three hundred and forty nine million down seven percent from three hundred and seventy seven million in February twenty eighteen. And the March twenty nineteen top twenty games, which is based off of sales rankings, so that's actually dollar sales and not units. Keep that in mind. Tom Clancy's The Division is at top. Sekiro, Shadows Not Twice, MLB nineteen the show, Devil May Cry. Five, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Red Dead Redemption 2, hanging in, doing real well. NBA 2K19, Grand Theft Auto 5, the game that everyone already owns. Yoshi's Crafted World, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Anthem, still hanging in there. Mario Kart 8, Jump Force, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, Far Cry New Dawn, good for them. Minecraft, another game that you'd expect every single person in the world to own. Um, Battlefield 5, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Borderlands and Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Now, some of those don't include digital sales, but yeah. Uh, going through to the best-selling game specifically for PS4, it's essentially the same top ten. A little bit different, and one more other game that I don't think made it into the other one. So that's Tom Clancy's The Division Two, MLB 19, Sekiro, Devil May Cry Five, Red Dead, NBA, Call of, uh, NBA 2K19, Black Ops Four, Jump Force, Marvel Spider-Man, doing well, and Grand Theft Auto Five again. Uh, and then the best-selling games of the whole year to date, and this is what's really interesting: Kingdom Hearts Three, Tom Clancy's The Division Two, Anthem, Resident Evil Two Remake, Red Dead Redemption Two, Jump Force, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice, Call of Duty: Black Ops Four, no surprise, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. Where this gets really interesting is that Anthem is coming in at the third highest-selling game of the year so far, year to date, but the game is in such disarray with its fan base right now and that's why i'm so confused on whether ea is going to do anything right because in this position you're in a game that has sold incredibly well regardless of what it is that means all the way up until the division two hit which is pretty recently uh anthem was number two and that's crazy for a game that has had such bad press so i mean who knows a lot of hype went into it i guess i think so and that makes me wonder what ea is going to do do they, re- do they think it's just hype, don't bother fixing it? Possibly, yeah. Or do they say, fix the game because e- regardless of what it was, people bought it. And if we can get those people back in, we don't have to risk not wanting to fund another Bioware game because we don't want people to immediately see Bioware and think, no, not going to get it. 
EA already faces that enough with themselves as a name. People going, oh, it's an EA game. I'm not going to buy it. I don't think they need anything more than that. Um, but that brings us back around to the main topic, finally. Yes, which and Justin really lead off with it. Our good buddy Justin and new Patreon on Twitter asked us a real question, but he actually even suggested breaking it into a topic because of the nature of the question. And he says... This is a big topic, so I'd understand if you guys didn't do it in an RM, but do you think games should be considered products of craft rather than works of art? Not that they can't be both. Categorizing games as art ends up so broad it's almost a meaningless term. And then he goes on to elaborate, saying, A product of craft has little more objectivity in terms of quality, implying that some of the gameplay systems, designs, and technicalities are better than are better than others for specific genres a bad chair is a bad chair regardless of artistic intent i love that last line it's a yeah it's a cool uh it's a very cool comparison and this gets into an interesting thing because i want to say that no matter what games will be art that's just well what i was going to lead off with is i think one country like aren't they classified as art I don't know. That's actually, that's a good question. But I think what I want to lead, lead off with, and I'm sure Saul would agree, and this happens for a number of reasons. Um, as a podcast that comes out every week and things that happen that tie back into other things, sometimes we find ourselves talking about things that we've talked about and bringing things up a lot. I think one of the things we've talked about a lot is that games can definitely be art. And I think sometimes we fail to delineate the fact that while we think games can be art, and that technically every game can be viewed as art if you want to, because it's something that just appeals to you uh, for whatever reason, that you can do that. But I also really do agree with what he's talking about. And I think sometimes we're part of the group of people that you say it so much that it starts to lose its real impact. And there was a point in time where I think if you made the argument that video games were art, it was far more odd than it is now. It's a more commonplace argument, something that a lot of people have embraced. But, wow. The U.S. National Endowment of Arts now considers video games eligible for artistic funding, legally recognizing them as an art form. Awesome. So legally, they are considered art. That means that they can tap into funds that are specifically reserved to art and things like that. Yeah. So um, one one real big thing that I have against, not I'm, I'm all for calling video games art, and I do think they are. However, when it, in certain contexts, or in certain contexts. Calling a video game art is one of the most annoying things that you could say. Uh, and that is when you are trying to actually critique a game for its faults and someone's saying, well, you can't do that. It's art. And I've seen that a couple of times and I don't like it. Okay. So you can I, critique art for its faults. <laughs> I do want to step in and play a little bit of devil's advocate here because we talked about it a little bit and I don't think that they completely line up, but I think it's easy to see why somebody would say that and think it's hypocritical of us to say that line. And that specifically ties into the Sekiro episode we had a few weeks back. One of the things that we argued is that the game should not necessarily be forced. And, you know, we've we've heard a lot back from that. And I think it's still a pretty interesting conversation to be had. Because for the most part, it's not people asking them to forcefully add it to that game necessarily. There's some of that. But a lot of it is kind of the idea of people wanting to get it out there so that hopefully from software in the future will think, while this is our art, our game, whatever we want to call it, now that that's in our minds, we can be thoughtful to maybe include those in our next game, or if we really feel that strongly about it, go back and patch them into Sekiro or any other previous game. But one of our biggest arguments was that the people making it, and I did, I think I specifically said that the art, the artist, the people, I mean, you know, the, the director kind of acts as a head artist, and then there's like subgroups of people who put their own art and their own feel into a game. And that's why a game feels the way it does when you're playing it, looks the way it does when you're playing it, sounds the way it does when you're playing it. These are all things that tie into that. I think it's a lot of artists getting together and making a product. So yes, all games are still products at the end of the day. All games are still art at the end of the day. But I think Saul's right. It, I hope it didn't sound like that was completely our argument. Our argument was that no. doesn't matter who it is. Nobody should ever feel like they're forced to do something that goes against what their original intention was as a right. creator. Creator. That doesn't necessarily mean art. But Well, I mean, to an extent, it, it, gets, it gets kind of muddy there. Because the, the argument can be made that we're artists for making a podcast. And I, I don't necessarily know that I can. That Welcome I would. to my masterpiece. <laughs> it's weird. but I painted that up there, by the way. And you wish, one. right? How, how dope would that be? I painted this thing right here next to me. 
Anyway. But, uh, it's one of those interesting things. It's like, well, it's let, me, let me make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Then I want right. you to go in. But I think what you were getting at, right? Just make sure I was talking about it right too, is that people use it as an escape from critique completely. Yes. Because what it, I was getting at, you could a, critique. Yes. You could critique, you know, some people would consider the talk about saying that Sekiro is too hard as a critique of the art. And then our, our answer was, well, the artist shouldn't be forced to do something about that right. to an extent. You know, I could see someone viewing it that way, though. I don't necessarily think that that's the way that we portray it. Artists shouldn't be forced into a stroke they don't want to do. And yeah. that's the thing about it is that like art is one of those things that is, it's hard to find. It's very muddy waters. It's very hard to find actual technical deformities in art because at that point, technical deformities can be owned up to as purposeful. Yeah. And that is one of those things that in art, you can have a canvas and you can have an amazing painting on it. Say, say Mona Lisa and you have Mona Lisa on it. And then you can have a canvas next to it that has holes in the canvas that was poked in with the paintbrush and it was very messy, but that could have been the artist's intention exactly. uh, to mess it up. So that's one of those mm-hmm. things. And that could be part of their message. And I think that is where it comes into play of intent. And it comes into play sure. that in this day and age, games are out and they are meant to be consumed and they have flaws and they have uh, pros and cons and weaknesses and all kinds of – there's so many elements to games, even though I just listed really two, just yeah, different d- well, wording. Yeah, but, but e- just like any other medium, right? Right, any other medium. And the thing that gets you there is that there are often – Tens, if not hundreds, of artists working for any game. I, and I say any game because you can have an indie game with artists like Binding of Isaac that, that t- sit there and made that pixel art and considers it their art form and their art, which would be true. But then you classify the entire medium as art and then the, the entire game as art. And you can look at the pixel art for Binding of Isaac and say, that's a really cool looking art. And then you look at the game and then other slides of art where he's firing tears out of his eyes to poo poo goblins. It's like, you'll get the prestigious or pretentious people who say that's not art. Well, they made it and they, they, they consider that their art. So technically that's the balance is like, it's and, hard. And doesn't that come back to intent, right? Yeah. It comes back is to the intent. person making the game intending in their own mind. Are they like, I am creating what I consider to be a piece of art. It's the whole, or, it goes back to hatred. Does it go back? Are the, are these people specifically saying to themselves, and this goes into a lot of, of areas where you just don't know it would differ it's per just, creator. Yeah, very muddy water. Because one thing is, is that you could say a creator goes, well, I'm making a game, but what if to that creator, all games are art, then he still considers himself to be making art. Right. But we don't know that. We'll never you, know that. You, you can know? have people behind the facade saying games like hatred, like the game is literally art. You can't censor art. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can claim that. Sure. And technically it falls under the medium of well, art. And thankfully I want to say that game did, release it was allowed to release and there was also yeah. other people there was it just got taken down due to the nature of its art form i don't even know if it did it get taken down for I, sure i don't think you could buy i just know it, it sold terribly if nothing else i because it did come out and it was playable but really, it may have been removed post haste i know? really don't think that you can download that on steam anymore we'll find out real quick yeah type it down let's find out i wouldn't be surprised if it got pulled well, it's still on there 599 okay yeah so i really thought it did but look that was essentially the example of the even if they wanted to claim it was art, it was able to be made, and then the people who were going to be the people who consumed the art or consumed the product, either side, were able to say, well, this isn't what interests me, and I don't want to get it. They were able to critique it on both sides, right? But look, I feel like this goes into a really interesting conversation on two different senses, right? Games are a very palpably, easily seeable and feelable medium in which you can objectively find plenty wrong with it despite your enjoyment of the art otherwise uh one of my examples that i go to all the time and i'm sure some people are tired of hearing me talk about it but it's the order it's a game that i very much consider as a work of art and it's almost obvious in every breadth of how it was made but they also made missteps and a lot of those missteps can be objectified and you can look at them some of them can still be subjective as well but a lot of things can happen in games and in all mediums to an extent, right? There exists the side of the medium that's purely about the art of it and how you're going to experience it. Then there's also the part of it that's based in factual, objectual, like objection, uh, ob- objective, sorry, objective value. 
that exists separate from it. So a few examples of that would be like a game can come out. Uh, we'll use Days Gone as an example here. A lot of people complained about frame rate drops, right? And pop-in textures and Days Gone. So the example that you'd use there is the game as a piece of art and content that you are consuming specifically as it retain, returns, like the writing and all those things, right? That's all the art that's like, well, it's subjective as how good or bad that is. But one of the objective sides that we can look at is clearly the game is dropping frame rates here. And these are objective things, right? Now, the th the weird medium that exists for all gamers is that every gamer has the ability to decide where on that spectrum they want to land. Do they want to say, in spite of all of its flaws, I love it because the art side of it appeals to me and there's so much about it that appeals to me that I'm willing to forego this objective side, this product side that I can see the flaws in and get this and love it anyway. And that's games for me like uh, the original Nier. Uh, Drakengard 3 is a huge example of that where it runs very poorly sometimes, but I still loved it because of what it did on what I consider to be the artist's side. The game resonated with me, not because of the, necessarily the game and the gameplay and the part that's on the game side, but more the parts outside of that. Uh, and the parts that were like the characters, the story, the world, the, I mean, all of that existed alongside all the mediocrity. So two things exist there and, and you can go back through uh, music has this exact same example, right? You can go to a song and this, this is an example of somebody who deals with music a little bit and, and has a history in it. Um, you can look at a song and there are people who are go, well, you can never play a note that's outside of this scale. Otherwise you're musically wrong or this, this, note here should never come after this note because it's going to sound wrong and it should never be played there. But then people do it anyway. Yeah. And it's because they did it on purpose and they wanted it to sound there and they did it with an intent behind it. And some people resonate with that intent and they like it, even though they like it. Something sounds off about it, but it sounds right because of it. You know, by nature of trying to do something wrong, they're doing something they intended. So I think that that goes into a lot of things is every artistic medium and that's pretty much anything, realistically. Something is like he brought up the wood, the chair thing, right? A good-looking chair that is a bad chair is still a bad chair, right? So the same thing, you that's on the objective side, right? But if you're looking at that chair purely for the art, and if that chair was made with the intention of purely being uh, something that looked like a chair. And but, could be considered a chair. But you wouldn't use it as a chair. But you wouldn't use it as a chair. It's yeah. entirely built because of my eyes find this pleasant. Yeah. It's not functional, but my eyes find Which it pleasant. Is a weird... And it was a challenging thing to make. So I made it with the intent of so challenging it's, it's myself. It's a sculpture and, that, yeah, that you and, wouldn't sit on. And it's kind of it's kind of weird about video that you games did that with regards, wood or whatever, you know? Because video games are made to be meant to be played. Hmm? Where chairs are made to be meant to be sit. See, but sometimes there are some. Sometimes yeah, you're you're right. Really, you're always going to play at least games, but some games really push that line. Yeah, um, like Detroit and the, uh, Vanishing Ethan Carter. Van yes, there's a lot of games that really push that line. What it is takes the other one? Bare remains minimum. of Edith Finch. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like it, it's one of those things that like it's meant to to be emotional. It's meant to take you on this on this. I hate saying the word walking simulator, but that's really what those kind of games are. Not Detroit, but yeah. not even as a pejorative, but specifically as saying like, you know, some people really try and use that as a pejorative. But I'm like, I think a I lot of yeah. people have embraced it I don't, as a term because uh, it's like, yeah, you, like, you're right. You're walking, but you're getting to experience something in that walk. Yeah. I'm Firewatch. Yeah. Uh, very like these games are meant to be uh, played and or consumed in such a way. And it works out for that because that's the intent of their the creation of their game. Uh, and what's weird about it, a craft is I think inadvertently they're all crafts, right? They're yeah. all, uh, they're both like, and it's very weird because they can both work well, 100% classified as either or. I just think that when you take video games or art, can't say that about it out of the equation, then it all makes sense. It's mm -hmm. just that very, very, very small percentage of people. I got no argument way back when on, um, game spots for, uh, forum boards, um, on the, um, I forgot what it was called, like the off-topic topic, uh, and we basically we were talking about games that we never expected we would like, uh, and then we ended up loving, and somebody had Forza in there, um, and I mean not Forza, Gran Turismo. This was back before Forza even came out. Okay, um, I think. But so Gran Turismo Five? No, God, it'd be three, I guess, because I'm pretty sure Forza started on Xbox One, the original Xbox. Yeah, and that was it after did. Gran Turismo Three A spec. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so like they were talking about Gran Turismo, and then somebody commented saying, "I would never play those games if I wanted to drive a car. I'd go out and drive my car." 
And it's a very com- it's a comment in my head that stuck with me for a really really long time now. Uh, like that kind of way of thinking. And it's like, well, yeah, you're right, but I can do this without wearing pants, and I can do it from like my home. Yeah. And it gives my brain and my hands something to do. Otherwise, when I'm bored, and it doesn't take as much physical energy or mental energy to drive this car. Like, right? It makes sense. You know how odd it is that you're talking about this? When I was literally thinking last night, I can't even remember what I was doing. I think I was playing, I know what it was. I was playing Days Gone, and in almost every third-person game like that, that where there's a vehicle that you drive, there's the slightest bit of input lag because the games are so focused on other things that they run at 30 frames per second. Right. So you get the you don't get the responsiveness you normally expect when you're playing like a racing game or something like that on console where if if the racing game can hit 60 frames per second there's a notable difference my example there is that uh, i played forza uh, horizon 4 on computer 60 frames per oh, second yeah. and then i went and i played it because i got games pass on xbox one and when i got 30. it and it's 30 frames per second and i was immediately way worse at the game yeah and it, so first time i played forza on my computer i won every race first try i had failed so many times and even that beginning race for forza horizon 4 because it's so different feeling that is but crazy where i was going to with it is that when i was playing the game and it ties into what you're talking about uh but when i was playing the game it, i was going and i was like well this is a little bit of input lag kind of sucks i was like well, you know racing games when they hit six frames per second it's awesome i was like but you know why would you even play a racing game? Like, well, why my brain went there? But then it was like, why would you play a racing game? Because real racing is incredibly dangerous and hard yeah. and exactly. takes years of training. And it's, I mean, realistically dangerous is one of the biggest things. Yeah. People don't realize that when you're racing a car, you're side by side with, with people. And a lot of what keeps you from wrecking is just audio cues. It's almost like you just have to, you gain like an extra sense of where these cars are based off of, com, excuse me, combining all these other senses that you have, right? You gain like a presence, an awareness of things that are around you, even though they're not, you really shouldn't. It's like by doing something long enough, uh, there's a great talk if you care for racing. I actually do like racing. Uh, I think it was Dale Earnhardt uh, Jr. specifically was talking about this in particular. When you're going around in the car, there's not a lot of things. It's like you learn to feel like the way your car is moving because of the surrounding stuff. You you understand where your car is about all these other cars. So the only thing keeping your mind, basically. Yes. So. Uh, but yeah, that goes into it. So it, it, why would you make a racing game that's simulated, right? Racing is such an art form. <laughs> right. <laughs> but why would you make... So you know, what you're saying is the, the, the crux of the, the argument on there was why would you make a racing game? Right. Because it's, because it's definitely a simulator-based racing game. Not to game. mention that, but like you said, it's an escape. There are people who can't drive. There are sure. people who, who, who physically cannot drive. Hey, I have a story regulated to that, but I'll tell it in a minute. Go ahead. Oh, uh, but you have people who cannot drive. You have people old enough that can't drive. You have people who, um, that they, for any reason or whatsoever, like there are things that they can't do in their life that they can find that escape through these games. And that's, you know, taking advantage of that art. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's also weird to think that someone cares so much about something so intently deep about one thing and then are also so so passionate about gaming that they go why can't i just combine the two why can't i say i absolutely love racing in these cars and i want to strive to make the best most close approximation of this experience in real life in a video game for the people that just can't do it for whatever reason that's amazing there's a quote somewhere and i'm gonna butcher it but the 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 basis of the quote is that any form of motivation from any source is art. And uh, I, I'll never forget that. I don't remember where I heard it. Uh, it might have been a TV show or something that I heard it from. So I don't remember where the quote came from. But I remember thinking about that. And I remember like watching Karate Kid. I'm like, that would be so cool to learn how to do karate. So then you pretend to do karate. Like at thinking as a kid, you know, like I'm going to be a black belt. Yeah, uh, and then there's been other things like that, like where it's it's just you know that sounds cool. Like you watch a really good movie or a really good stand up, and you're like, I could be a comedian, like or yeah. I want to be a comedian. You, you write stand up, yeah, it, it's lived, motivation, yeah, lived experience in in whatever shape or form. It gives you that motivation, that clarity, and you're just kind of like, I, I, that's something I want to do. This looks like a good time. A uh, perfect example of people that you love, right? Miyazaki actually talked about the reason he got into making games was because of Fumito Ueda, who is, is the guy behind Ico, Shadow of the Colossus, all yep. those games. So th- what an amazing example of someone who was pulled in to it 
because of external factor of just experiencing one of their games and going, man, and you me, know how cool it'd be to make my own game. Miyamoto made Zelda because of childhood stories that him and his friends would tell. Yeah, See, about a cave and such. So it does tie into Justin. I guess to to specifically answer your question, I think that there is some detrimental sides to just immediately going around proclaiming that games are art. And I think that there is also some immediately and some immediate value in proclaiming games as a product and the product of a craft or even just a consumer product uh, because they both exist in ways where you can, it, it gives you two dimensions in which you can live in games, certain genres that you worry and care more about specifically the way they feel in your hands and play. And you want to go towards more of this objective value of how do they run? Do they have a good frame rate? Are they paced well? Do they have tight mechanics? Do they have this? Do they have that? These are all things that you can use to go uh, like a game, like enter the gungeon. That game is purely really based around the gameplay first. And the rest is just all puns and things that help pull to get the game together and be a loose tangential tie. And it gives it that charm. That exactly. The game has. Exactly. That You're makes true. The game. The game. But the, the what brings you back to the playing that game is the way it feels in your hands, right? Then you have a game like Detroit, which is a game that lives and breathes off of the value that it provides. That it provides on technically two fronts. One of them I would consider to be objective, which is the multi-choice driven narrative, something yeah. that is based very Heavy much rain, around, Detroit. you know, so when you're looking at that, that's something that's based a little bit more around objectivity of how well can they pull that off from a technological standpoint. It's all that, but it's also really based around the story. Those games are bought and played for specifically because they want to see the story, which is the more artistic value side of it, at least in the way that I break the game down. So I think that you have to live in a world where where you let both of those things exist because they really do. And they're, they're both intimately true in their own fashion, but you've got to find on that spectrum, what you care about most and how to be able to do it. And then you also got to realize that sometimes when people are critiquing things that you don't, that you like, and because they're saying they don't that, on that spectrum, they may be landing in a different area as to where the the problems with that game and whatever it is for them exist in such a strong example to the way that they view the, the, the games, be it as art or as mechanical things that they can, you know, and, and be tangible with. And they may, I guess what it should do is it should allow us all to be able to temper our expectations and of other people. And I guess that even goes to me, you know, I've been really hard on why does people, why do people not like the order? It wasn't that low. And I still stand behind the fact that the order should never have reviewed it a one because that's just a ludicrous thing. And I, th I feel like that should be reserved for a game that's truly broken. And if, if you want to say anything about the order, it runs perfectly and it looks beautiful. All of the things that really people have problems with, come down to a lot of decisions, you know? I mean, these are decisions that can be put up to test objectively and can, and then also can be put up to test artistically and you can find the ground of where that game lands for you. Because of that, that game lands as a solid 7.5 to 8 out of 10 for me, but it lands as a 5 out of 10 to another person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that being able to allow both of those to exist allows everybody to under, to have, be more nuanced yourself and understand why you do and don't like a game while also allowing plenty of people the ability to understand and maybe put themselves in the shoes of somebody else and go, they may really hate this game that I like or dislike it. Hate's a strong word, but you know they may really dislike this game that I enjoy so immensely. But why do I enjoy it, and why don't they like it? And maybe they exist separately. And that's that's how you can prove that video games are a form of art in that sense, too, because you can go into a game, two people can go into the same game, and outcome with two wildly different expectations and yeah. experiences. So that's interesting uh, talk. And you, yeah, it almost you almost start to lose things. Like, like you said, is everything art? Because realistically, everything is art. Everybody can go into any situation and come out with two wildly different perspectives on what was happening. Well, yeah, it depends though. I mean, you can say to an extent. I mean, what are you gonna say? Books, movies? Well, no, no. I was gonna say like I don't. I don't even mean content. I mean, you can walk out of this door right now, Saul, and me and you can both get shot. The way that we perceive the pain of the shot. There's all these different factors of yeah. as to how we're going to live that yeah, experience. Yeah, but where that's we out of context. I'm talking about experiencing oh, something on purpose, like a medium. I, I, I get that, but a I media. just mean in general. It's what's so funny about this talk is because at some point, like, am I going to walk out and get shot? Every, I hope not. But I mean, everything you hope not. They're, we're in a house. There may not be no hoping here. Hannah's like, boy, <laughs> we've been taking too long. 
Saul hasn't talked a lot, but I, boy, I sure did in the first recording. I know. I feel I was bad letting, that I was letting happening. Brett power through it all. But thank you, Justin, for your question. And uh, we look forward to hearing what you thought in the uh, in a Twitter, YouTube, Discord, whatever you want to come back and hit us with. Uh, yeah. And everybody else for that matter as well. Yeah. So I think what we'll do is a community's take question, and then I'll put it out again just to get the takes for people that don't remember or don't reach out or whatever it is. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you can comment with your answer to this if you'd like. Uh, and past that we'll post it on everywhere else but more often than not do you feel like you look at games as an art form or do you feel like you look at them as a job as a craft and a product that you're getting and how much do you feel like that balance where do you fall on the spectrum how much of that balance do you feel like drives what games you do and don't buy and uh if you can muster up an example i'd be really interested to hear some examples of games that just didn't click with people or did click with people because of one very specific thing so that's your challenge that's the community's take question we'll cover that at the beginning of the next episode thanks for sticking around with us i hope this episode didn't suffer too much from having to come back from re and re-record essentially all the episode thousand hundred thousand best is a craft my name is mayo's art <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in to episode 109. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank Brett, you. hit us with the patrons. Patrons. Thanks to our patrons, Chad V, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Sanarud, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Blake Popst, Eduardo Palomino, Stephen Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip LaGuerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Justin Rowe, and William Digital Spooker. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so by going through the link in the description or going to www.patreon.com slash Nartech. Thank you.